0: Section Zero of Brain Twister. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Katherine Eastman, March two thousand eight. Brain Twister by Mark Phillips. Prologue Mark Phillips is, or are, two writers, Randall Garrett and Lawrence M. Janifer. Their joint pen name, derived from their middle names, Philip and Mark, was coined soon after their original meeting at a science fiction convention. Both men were drunk at the time, which explains a good deal, and only one has ever sobered up. A matter for constant contention between the collaborators is, which one? They have been collaborating for some time now, and have devised an interesting method of work. Mr. Garrett handles the verbs, the adverbs, and the interjections, Mr. Jennifer, the nouns, pronouns, and adjectives. Conjunctions are a matter of joint decision, and in the case of a tie, the entire game is replayed at Fenway Park, Boston, early in the following year. Brain Twister was fifteen years in the making— of which time three days were spent in the actual writing. When the book was finished, both authors relaxed in the mutual pleasure of nervous breakdowns from which it is not certain that either has ever recovered. Mr. Garrett is a large, roundish fellow with a beard. He wears flowered vests and always carries a small talisman which no one has ever seen. Mr. Jennifer is a somewhat shorter and thinner type. With a shorter and thinner beard. His vests are in solid colors, he wears horn-rimmed glasses because he has always done so, and he is never found without a souvenir subway token from the city of New York. The personal lives of the authors differ widely. Mr. Garrett's hobbies, for instance, include such sports as close-order drill and river pollution. Mr. Janifer, a less active type, prefers sedentary games such as humming or blinking. Mr. Garrett is engaged to an exotically beautiful creature, and the two plan to be married as soon as they run out of excuses. Mr. Jennifer, on the other hand, is fascinated by women, and hopes some day to meet one. Brain Twister by Mark Phillips A shorter version of this work appeared in Astounding Science Fiction, under the title of, That Sweet Little Old Lady. Prologue. In 1914, it was Enemy Aliens. In 1930, it was Wobblies. In 1957, it was Fellow Travelers. And in 1971, Kenneth J. Malone rolled wearily out of bed, wondering what the hell it was going to be now. One thing, he told himself, was absolutely certain. It was going to be terrible. It always was. He managed to stand up, although he was swaying slightly when he walked across the room to the mirror for his usual morning look at himself. He didn't much like staring at his own face first thing in the morning, but then, he told himself, it was part of the toughening up process every FBI agent had to go through. You had to learn to stand up and take it when things got rough, he reminded himself. He blinked and looked into the mirror. His image blinked back. He tried a smile. It looked pretty horrible, he thought, but then the mirror had a slight ripple in it, and the ripple distorted everything. Malone's face looked as if it had been gently patted with a waffle iron. And, of course, it was still early morning, and that meant he was having a little difficulty in focusing his eyes. Vaguely, he tried to remember the night before. He was just ending his vacation, and he thought, he recalled, having a final farewell party for two or three lovely female types he had chanced to meet in what was still the world's finest city of opportunity, Washington, D.C., latest female-to-male ratio, five-and-a-half to one. The party had been a classic of its kind, complete with hot and cold running ideas of all sorts and lots and lots of nice, powerful liquor. Malone decided sadly that the ripple wasn't in the mirror, but in his head. He stared at his unshaven face blearily. Blink. Ripple. Quite impossible, he told himself nobody could conceivably look as horrible as kenneth j malone thought he did things just couldn't be as bad as all that ignoring a still small voice which asked persistently why not he turned away from the mirror and set about finding his clothes he determined to take his time about getting ready for work after all nobody could really complain if he arrived late on his first day after vacation Everybody knew how tired vacations made a person. And besides, there was probably nothing happening anyway. Things had, he recalled with faint pleasure, been pretty quiet lately. Ever since the counterfeiting gang he'd caught had been put away, crime seemed to have dropped to the nice, simple levels of the 1950s and 60s. Maybe, he hoped suddenly, he'd be able to spend some time catching up on his scientific techniques, or his math, or pistol practice. The thought of pistol practice made his head begin to throb with the authority of a true hangover. There were fifty or sixty small gnomes inside his skull, he realized, all of them with tiny little hammers. They were mining for lead. "'The lead,' Malone said aloud, "'is farther down, not in the skull.'" The gnomes paid him no attention. He shut his eyes and tried to relax. The gnomes went right ahead with their work, and microscopic regiments of eagle scouts began marching steadily along his nerves. There were people, Malone had always understood, who bounced out of their beds and greeted each new day with a smile. It didn't sound possible, but then again there were some pretty strange people. The head of that counterfeiting ring, for instance, where had he got the idea of picking an alias like André Gide? Clutching at his whirling thoughts, Malone opened his eyes, winced, and began to get dressed. At least he thought it was going to be a peaceful day. It was at this second that his private intercom buzzed. Malone winced again. To hell with you, he called at the thing. But the buzz went on, ignoring the code shut off. That meant, he knew, an emergency call, maybe from his chief of section, maybe even from higher up. "'I'm not even late for work yet,' he complained. "'I will be, but I'm not yet. "'What are they screaming about?' "'There was, of course, only one way to find out. "'He shuffled painfully across the room, "'flipped the switch, and said, "'Malone here.' "'Vaguely, he wondered if it were true. "'He certainly didn't feel as if he were here, "'or there, or anywhere at all, in fact.' A familiar voice came tinnily out of the receiver. Malone, get down here right away. The voice belonged to Andrew J. Burris. Malone sighed deeply and felt grateful for the 50th time that he had never had a TV pickup installed in the intercom. He didn't want the FBI chief to see him looking as horrible as he did now, all rippled and everything. It wasn't... Well, it wasn't professional, that was all. I'll get dressed right away, he assured the intercom. I should be there in... Don't bother to get dressed, Burris snapped. This is an emergency. But chief... And don't call me chief. Okay, Malone said. Sure, you want me to come down in my pajamas, right? I want you to... Burris stopped. "'All right, Malone, if you want to waste time "'while our country's life is at stake, "'you go ahead, get dressed. "'After all, Malone, when I say something is an emergency... "'I won't get dressed, then,' Malone said. "'Whatever you say.' "'Just do something,' Burris told him desperately. "'Your country needs you, pajamas and all. "'Malone, it's a crisis!' "'Conversations with Burris,' Malone told himself, were bound to be a little confusing. I'll be right down, he said. Fine, Burris said, and hesitated. Then he added, Malone, do you wear the tops or the bottoms? The what? Of your pajamas, Burris explained hurriedly. The top part or the bottom part? Oh, Malone said. As a matter of fact, I wear both. Good burris said with satisfaction i wouldn't want an agent of mine arrested for indecent exposure he rang off malone blinked at the intercom for a minute shut it off and then ignoring the trip hammers in his skull and the eagle scouts on his nerves began to get dressed somehow in spite of burris's feelings of crisis He couldn't see himself trying to flag a taxi on the streets of Washington in his pajamas. Anyhow, not while he was awake. I dreamed I was an FBI agent, he thought sadly, in my drafty BVDs. Besides, it was probably nothing important. These things, he told himself severely, have a way of evaporating as soon as a clear cold intelligence got hold of them then he began wondering where in hell he was going to find a clear, cold intelligence, or even, for that matter, what one was. End of Prologue